listening to the Nerds Assemble podcast. Episode 285 of the Nerds Assemble podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Paul, aka Retroid. Uh, we have no po- other Paul this week uh, due to the joys of work shifts uh, suddenly changing. So, Paul Prime is missing. Yeah, Paul Prime is missing. He he left out all the kit for me and was like, you can put this together full, full faith for me. And if you're listening to this now, that means that that faith wasn't misplaced. However, now that I've put everything together, I'm not actually that sure about how to take it apart again. <laughs> so, baby steps. Baby yeah. steps. Um, this week, it's a kind of a catch-up episode, because obviously we haven't been around since the end of E3. Um, but that's fine, because everybody who of the two of us have been up to things in between seeing Nintendo not announce a Nintendo Switch Pro. So... Yeah. You know, we're good. The, the Nintendo Switch was it O L E D? Yeah, it's o- OLED. OLED. It it rolls off the tongue. That. Um, oh, oh yeah, it does, and it's so up to date. They finally caught up with the PlayStation Vita screen. Yeah. So. And there was there was a handheld called the Wiz, which oh. had an OLED screen as well. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm. Probably not going to be upgrading on that front. Just to say that now. Um, going to wait a bit longer there. My uh, Switch has very much still got some life left in it. But aside from us chuckling at Nintendo news, what you've been up to, Retroid? Well, um, with the on the watching front, have you heard of the Fear Street trilogy that Netflix are doing? Okay, so I have it in my watch list. Mm. Um. And I knew they've been because re- they've been releasing it. Is it in parts? Isn't it like a part? Yeah. Is it every week or every other week? Every week. Okay. Yes. So I am very aware. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet, and I haven't figured out from Paul if he wants to watch it with me. He's a bit hit and miss with horror compared to myself. It it's it's good. Okay. And I have to say. Um, the Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Mmm. Mmm. Mm, mm. Soundtrack. Nice. Because it was, oh, this is good. Yes, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Yes, yes, I approve. Um, what, I, what, I believe it, it has... Um, well, it's it's pretty much... It's a tale of two cities, and it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Or you've got you've got the, the posh... Um, small town where everything is fine and it's got a you know phenomenally low crime rate and then you've got a place called shady side which just seems to have all the bad luck and it keeps having mysterious serial killers oh and they have a local um legend about the witch who was buried in the uh, the forest this is all and, very unreassuring, you know. 
Yeah, like, and also uh, with it being um, you know 1994, uh, there's a mall in it, and it looks suspiciously like the mall from Stranger Things. Oh no! Probably because it is, but yeah. Um, I have to say, um, I went in with a well. We'll see how this is because I know you know I'm I'm a little bit hit, hit and miss with you know horror films, Mm-mm. but it's just got the right mix of um, self-referential and the right mix of uh, just doing a horror film on its own. Mm. So I I quite enjoyed um, part one. And it's got it's got some gory deaths. Yeah. So you know, if you're um, you know, really gore averse, then you know you'll have to look away at some point. Um, and it references some of the things because, of course, there's you know you have um, some of the you know the old sort of uh, archetypes of character, and they're nicely referenced. And it has an Amiga. It has an Amiga two thousand in it. That one of the uh, you know the characters the nerd uses. So that that's a nice little you know nineteen nineties um, thing. But it's a yeah I can't see anyone actually using an Amiga two thousand in nineteen ninety four for talking online. But there you go. Would it have been possible? I mean, my experience of the- oh it, w- it would have been possible. My experience of an Amiga was um, I saw. My cousins had one, um, mm. but I don't know what model it was. It might have been. It probably wasn't that new. Um, yeah. And they just used it to play, I think, Zool and Adam's Family mostly. Yeah, that's what most of them were used for. <laughs> I I played games on them, but I, I was also doing my, my nerdy stuff, like compiling my own discs and utility stuffs and you know, uh... collecting fonts from all of the players and you know all kinds of stuff. Which was just wonderful, but yeah, this you know, big box Amiga, and you know, it it's there, so you know that's that's a nice thing. But it has the oh look, you know, this could be happening because look at all these weird things that keep happening in our town, and there are things referenced like one of them from nineteen seventy eight, which is the uh, the summer camp murders, oh. Oh. and then of course you have the second film, which is. Fear Street, nineteen seventy eight. Oh no! And of course, that tells the story of the summer camp massacre. What so years, what's the year's the next one going to be? Um, the third one is sixteen sixty six. I feel like that might be witches. Just going to say now. It it very definitely is because they have a little um, you know trailer for what is going to go on in the next one and yeah it's very definitely uh, the witch it is the the tale of the witch it feels a little bit like they they might be people who are like fans of like american horror story a little bit with that setup with less seth not as the weirdness of the universe of that but just kind of yeah building Um, on it well having having watched american horror story as well yeah. Um I have to say not really getting the you know much of a vibe. They they are successfully they feel quite of their time. Yeah. Which you'll know what I mean when it's sometimes it can be very hard for them to achieve this. 
when a film is set in, you know, like Year X, and it just doesn't quite ring true. Mm. Or is these these manage? Um, and Fear Street Part Two, Part Three is not out yet, so we have uh, we haven't watched that. But Part Two um, stars, and I've just blanked her name. Um, the new girl from Stranger Things, uh, season two onwards. The the redhead lass. I can see her. I can't name her. Yeah. So it it was just right. Okay. So she's she's making stuff in the twenty first century, and so far the two things that I've seen her in are set in the mid eighties. Cool. <laughs> and then kind of you know lateish seventies. Am I ever going to actually see her in something that's set in modern day? <laughs> Maybe she can't be in anything that's set in the modern day. Perhaps she's her own form of cryptid. Maybe. Ah. But yeah, generally, um, I do like the two films, and they work to they work well together and as separate. Okay, that's good to know. So yeah. Um, Part two does have some of the characters in from you know the first part, but they're in kind of a uh, you know they're in nineteen ninety four talking to one of the well the only survivor that mm. they know of of the uh, you know the summer camp murders in nineteen seventy eight, and of course then you get the story of what happened, and then it's well what are we going to do because there are things that fall into place. There are things that you could they couldn't do in the first um, film because they didn't know, and then there are things that come up in the second film where, of course, they couldn't you know do certain things. But because it's the you know the two groups now talking, something becomes possible, and that's why nineteen um, you know it's in sixteen sixty six, so okay. it's where it all began. So yeah, that uh, that's rather good. Uh, let's see what else. I've uh, been watching Black Summer Season 2 on Netflix. Uh, another Netflix one. <laughs> Please sponsor me, Netflix. I am open to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's quite good. It's it's a... Have you seen Black Summer Season 1? No. I need a premise. What's the premise? Um, it is Zombie Apocalypse... But it's done in more of a, if I use the term correctly, gonzo. Okay. Where you are following certain people around. And there's a lot of very good camera work because you can um, have someone, you know, driving along in a car and they'll be ducking, uh, you know, the zombies. The zombies, by the way, in this one are generally very fast. So if you think in you know, a twenty-eight days later sort of rage okay. virus zombie, that's you know that's what they're like. They're very fast. They're very aggressive, and they turn quickly. So you can have someone driving in the car, um, avoiding you know zombies, and then someone will stop them, and then um, they might get hijacked or thrown out, and then you know all this will be in you know one supposed camera motion, and then you know that. Um, the person who's hijacked the car might crash the car, and then you you will see that you know the zombie that was on the the roof of the car, um, you know, get thrown off and over you know the other cars that they crashed into, and then of course um, you'll see them sort of get up, 
and hear a noise and then run off. And then it will pan back to the car, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, it is, I, I like it. The characters are, oh dear, how, how did I, uh, yeah, in an episode we watched last night, I said it, it's like, um, it's like living in alien isolation. It's like living in a survival horror stealth game. Because no one, you know, unless people know each other, no one really trusts anyone else because everyone is absolutely desperate. So the first season is set, you know, roughly summertime. Yeah. This season is set in the winter where things are even more desperate because they're pretty much out in the wilderness because going into the town is absolute suicide. Well, yeah, I'm assuming it's like zombie central. Yeah. So you get... Um, there's a few episodes which are centred around this mansion house and because you have different people's stories sort of you know, being shown in little chapter bits with you know, headers, you'll get things out of order. So you'll see um you know two people running uh, well one man running and he's got another man behind him who's you know who's turned who's a zombie and um he manages to run to a mansion house and he gets shot and then you find out later on who was in the mansion house who shot him and then you find out what the situation is in the mount in the uh, mansion house because someone else, uh, you know, knocks on the door and needs to get in because you know they're being chased, and they get in, and it turns out that there's more or less a hostage standoff going on between you know one group and this woman and her two sons, and then you have there's a mercenary group and a bunch of survivors. Who also, you know, end up converging on the location. So it's it's all very. Uh, I I like it. It, it sounds, it's it sounds very fast paced. It it can be yes. Um, though though you know there was one episode where it was pretty much just two characters, one you'd already met, and another who uh you know just chances upon him and with the I, you know i think i know you from somewhere but i can't remember your name and it's just follows them both through this episode and then you find out how the other one knows the other and how they're different from how they were before you know the world ended and in the middle there's weirdness in the house which i won't spoil but it's not that mansion house that I mentioned. This it's a completely different house that they find themselves in, and it's like it's the, exactly the kind of thing that you would think would happen and make sense in end of world situation. Okay. But yeah, it's it's just I would I would heartily recommend Black Summer. It's very good. We've not finished the second season yet. We're two episodes off, but yeah, been really quite enjoying it. And also, we've been watching um, Star Wars: The Bad Batch, which you two really need to watch. Um, it is good, and it also 
does explain, uh, you know, it, it does fill in blanks about, um, you know, the clone army and, mm. you know, things like that and that kind of era when you had the the Republic suddenly becoming the Empire. And you don't need to have watched any of the other animated series. Mm, okay. So it, it's, a very, it's a very, very good jump on point for anything like that. So it does directly reference some things and there are characters that pop up from other ones, but they, you know, it, they're kind of there as if you want to know more, mm-hmm. they are in this other thing. Okay. It's not, it's not required that you know about them. So, yeah. So that is good. Um, and my, my final thing that I've been doing mm-hmm. is um, I finally treated myself to a proper oscilloscope, a proper modern oscilloscope. Uh, yeah. I yeah, I'm I'm not gonna I know what you mean. I know what they are. I've seen them at work. Yes. Yeah. So the the ones I've been playing about with they they uh, they were not digital storage oscilloscopes. They were you know old fashioned CRT mm. where you could only see what was going on live. And I looked I looked up some reviews uh the, and to my amazement I found that I could get a good modern one, a uh, scope made in China, for less than I could get a 30-odd-year-old um, scope of similar spec, which is kind of what, you know, I, I've always heard towards the CRT ones because I just like the vector scopes on them. Yeah. But when it came to this, it was, well, I can get this, you know, this modern version cheaper, and it performs better because I watched... You know, a few reviews of the you know the old model I also had my eye on, mm. and I thought, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I've I've got I, I you know I've got spare money from uh, my hobby, so I will you know I'll splash out on this because it's about time that I you know had one like that. Have Especially you- because my old one had all kinds of you know weird issues because it's it's about thirty five years old now. <laughs> have you been making good use of it already than this new one well i'm i'm just getting my head around how to use it okay. but i think i think i am and one of my uh one of the first things that i used it on was uh, i've got a bootleg of capcom's cps1 arcade board the punisher which of course based on you know marvel and with it being a mid '90s Capcom game, it's either going to be a one-on-one, sh- um, you know, fighter. I almost said shooter, um, <laughs> one-on-one fighter or a scrolling fighter, and it's the latter, presumably because it, they were just pumping out so many versions of Street Fighter Two. Mm. But yeah, um, I got it. It runs. But it definitely not without issues. Now I showed you a photo of what it looked like when I got it. Yeah, yeah. It was not and looking pretty. No, um, it had vertical lines in the background. The sprites were working, but when it came to the backgrounds, they were very messy, and it was clearly, yeah, this isn't working right. So I knew roughly where on the board the problem was Mm -hmm. because um 
One of the cool things is, you know, I've mentioned capacitors in the past. Yes. Human skin has a capacitance. So one of the things you can do, only on boards that don't have high voltage, <laughs> I, I'll get that in for, you know, first. But of course, the highest voltage on this board is 12 volts. So, it, you know, it's it's fine. But if you think there's an issue on a board and you know roughly where it is, you can just put your hand underneath and try moving along the pins. And I could affect a little things in the picture. And that's what I'd been doing before I got the scope, because I thought, well, definitely it's in this area of the board. That's where the issue is, because I could make some of those lines kind of disappear. Yeah. Or at least, you know, change. So I thought, yeah, it's definitely there. So I ordered some replacement chips. Uh, and that's, that's the whole thing. Um, when... Capcom made boards, they would have, you know, like one, you know, big gargantuan custom chips in this era where they, these would do these things. And when the bootleggers got hold of them, obviously they didn't have access to those custom chips. So they would work out roughly what those custom chips were doing. If, you know, when they were taking a signal in and then they were passing it out and, you know, and it was altered in this way. Mm. So they would, um, instead of one custom chip which would just take up you know a few square centimeters on the board they would have maybe like three or four rows of logic chips arranged and they would approximate the workings of you know some of the custom chippery so this was the the broken out sort of graphics hardware that uh, capcom were using and of course because it was a system because it was cps1 the capcom play system it was used in multiple boards so once they worked out what some games were doing and what other games were doing, they could work out what the chip was doing. Yeah. So I was prodding along there, and I was working out what some of these uh, signals were doing. And I found a few chips that were um, passing out. They were passing signals out, but rather than them being 5 volts, which is the logic level on these boards, it was more like about 2 volts. Okay. So it was it was technically working, but probably not high enough signal for the rest of the circuit to you know see it properly. Yeah. And once I worked out what some of the chips you know, that were giving the issues were, um, I got new chips which I knew worked. And what you can do is you can kind of just piggyback them. Yeah. So. I you know, squeezed in the legs and I made sure that they were making good contact and slid them down on some of the chips. And the result, again, uh, I tweeted out. It was looking where, a lot healthier. Yeah, where it would correct the palette. It would bring in certain um, background details, which were you know just previously missing because you know, the signals weren't getting through. And yeah, so it would, you know, correct pallor, um, get rid of uh, some of the lines that were missing and just generally make it go better. So the board is not fixed, but I know where the issue is and I know which chips I have to replace. And those were some of the first things that I managed to find with the help of this oscilloscope where it was showing me the proper signal levels. Whoop. Science. 
and of, of course the, the thing is this this being a bootleg board it's one of the cheaper ones where um i think gadget uk did a video he's a mm. uh, you know youtuber who uh you know does a lot of these you know kinds of things and he was explaining some of the issues like um the original capcom board has two megabytes just for the audio Whereas um, this bootleg has a quarter of that. Because wow. it was a lot cheaper to make. <laughs> so, yeah, there are some bits of music where it, it will you know play a proper bit of music and it will keep going on the original Capcom version, but on the board I've got, it will just loop the same, in like, five, ten seconds. Mm. Badly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not like you go, oh, it's repeating. It will just, it's like a record skipping. It will just go back to the start. <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah. But I, I got this board cheap and I thought it, it's my favorite kind of state where it is not fundamentally dead. It is working and I can see the difference in some of the things I'm doing. So, that, you know, that was good enough for me. And I'm, yeah, I'm I'm happy with what I've achieved with that, the real sod is going to be actually getting the chips out. Yeah. Isn't that usually uh, the, the the not so fun part? Yeah, because it's, oh, just take the chips out the board. So, uh, <laughs> that's probably going to be a few hours getting them out, yeah. Especially because I know it's not 100%. Yeah. I know it's, because I've identified four chips in that area which need replaced but i don't know if that's everything but it's it, it's going to be fun finding out and it's just i've gone from not knowing what to do with those because it's it's devil's blue fire mm. it's it's a complete mystery what's going on to being able to see that there's a problem and then well i will try that oh it's worked happy So that that's me. Okay, all right. Well, despite the fact that Paul Prime's not here, um, I've been up to a lot. I think the most important thing I can say that I've done though in the past few days is that I finally, finally, finally saw another round in a goddamn cinema. Dubbed in English, of course, right? No, no subtitles. Hurrah! Um, A.K. Druk. Which I, f- I I did figure out the um, literal translation of the original title in Danish. Um, so Druk um, stands. Uh, it means kind of kind of like binge drinking, but still not quite. Um, so it's I, not I, really a good film title. I, I um, saw. Um, yeah, um, I saw one explanation where it said there's um, a type of what culture, if you can call it that. <laughs> In Finland, and I'm not slagging off the Finns. Wait, wait, because so, so, what... I want to point out this is set in Denmark. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, but they're not, yeah. they're all the same, aren't they? The Nordic no, countries. No, Finnish is a very different language to Danish. I have learned. It's it's like you know, Cornwall, Devon, same thing. No, if if you were saying Denmark, Sweden, <laughs> same thing, you'd be 
kind of closer, but not so I would much probably Finland. cause border skirmishes. <laughs> probably, probably very nice border skirmishes, but there would there would be words. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I I can't remember the word because it it was Finnish, but it was. It can be summed up by um, binge drinking alone, sitting in your underwear. Yeah, this wasn't quite that most of the time. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, like, so maybe Dave Internet had previously helped me watch this film some time maybe. ago. Maybe. Um, but it was fantastic, too. And because it was a Saturday night in Cornwall, late, at a film that wasn't in English, we had the whole screen to ourselves. Yeah. Just just like what you want in the middle of a goddamn pandemic. Um, obviously not yeah, great that, for Yeah, that is the dream, isn't it? Yeah, not great for the cinema. Though, as far as I could tell, they were getting some reasonable bums on seats for, I think, like Black Widow and stuff, as far as I could tell for the evening. So, you know, they, they were getting something. Um but no, another round, seeing it properly um, with proper sound. Um, and I think they might have tweaked the subtitles a little bit from whatever version I may have seen previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it was really good. It, it affirmed that it definitely deserves all the awards it's won, including Best International Film at the Oscars this year. It certainly deserves the five stars that uh, Mark Commode gave it in The Guardian. I was going to ask, what was it? It was basically just you, Paul Prime, and Mark Kamud sitting in the corner. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but people need to see this film. And okay, I get not seeing it at a cinema at the moment. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, and I have no idea what I'm going to be doing about going to the cinema after the nineteenth. Um, it's going to be some very because I don't know if they're still going to have any protocols at our local cinemas. Um. So we'll be, you know, taking that under advisement. At least they've got better ventilation than most Cornish pubs, on account of the fact that the buildings still have aircon most of the time. I didn't. Um, whereas most of our pubs are like Victorian build, or older, mostly older bullshit. Um, so yeah, but anyway, so another round. Um, it's I can't remember if I explained this before. If you haven't heard me talk about this before, anywhere, a group of guys. Um, I think they're all, yeah, they're all teachers at a um, sort of like a like a sort of high school level school uh, in this town. Mm. Decide that after some stuff happens, that they would, like they would try this experiment, which was to build on this idea that some guy put forth years ago that um, humans are born with like something like not enough blood alcohol volume right it's something like 0.05% is like the ideal amount or something and if you have that all the time your your life will be better basically um right. and they decide to do this as an experiment experiment in double quote marks and so, for science for science and they, you yeah. know, they are writing a paper as they go kind of or at least one of them is um everyone's lives prior to that point aren't going great like they've all got slightly different at home and at work situations um the only constant in their life is perhaps their friendship with each other yeah and even that is like up in the air at times 
so they you know they do this experiment see if it will improve like social stuff basically into personal stuff and things and performance as it yeah. were um and you know this is a film obviously stuff's gotta happen and stuff happens um and it's kind of like a, you know sort of like a rise and fall kind of story yeah of kind of like a rise beginning to happen a bit at the end um it's a lot of emotion i wouldn't even i can't it's really hard to define the genre of it um because it's not it's not like an out and out drama it's not a comedy or anything it's just it's just life on a screen in a in in a fictional way that is still quite believable you could imagine a bunch of random middle-aged guys trying the same thing so yeah um it was amazing and more people need to go see another round is what i'm saying 100%. Well, I, I, I look forward to seeing it at some point hopefully without the help of david internet um i'm certainly going to be picking it up on blu-ray once it's out um so that's that's that in complete contrast to that amazing piece of cinema i've watched like three other films um, somehow for uh, our date night movie last week ended up being Bumblebee. Okay. Um, which had, was, had you not seen that before? We hadn't seen it before. Um, and it's currently available on UK Netflix. So if you're also like me and never seen it before, um, that's where you can watch it. Um, I, I actually got taken to the cinema by uh, an old school friend. Well, that's nice. Who, I... who had um, dragged me to see various other Transformers films because we, we both really liked Transformers uh... the first time around in the 80s. And it, it was like, yeah, these these are all shit, mm. Rob. I mean, these, these are all shit, but Bumblebee, to my shock, was not. Yeah, it had, it had a couple of issues. It had none mm. of the issues that the previous uh, films, which were obviously set technically after it, had. Yeah. The biggest problem Bumblebee has is that it relies too much on just being like, it's the 80s, here's some music. And I get yeah. And the thing is, though, is that it becomes very overused when you consider that, yes, like with the Transformers films that we got um, previously, um, Bumblebee's form of communication ends up being, you know, music or whatever he hears through the radio. Which which I still hate, but yeah. Yeah. But to then bombard us when it's not Bumblebee talking with 80s music, it it was like my main gripe with the film was that. I was just like, just shut the fuck up. Like, just put some score in. Like, make you know, pay someone to write some music for the film that has nothing else going for it. Please, dear Lord. Yeah, yeah but then you can just get an 80s hits album and you know, pick something. Uh, no, thank you. But um, no, I, I liked it. Um, and then in complete contrast, because that was obviously a contrast to another round. Although, although, very... although um, just just thinking that, um, yeah. I think I mentioned this when uh, I first saw the trailer for it, and when I first saw the you know the film as well. Mm. Basically, I I now want a film set on Cybertron, just like the start of Bumblebee. Yeah, my my issue was that. Um, there were I had there was a lot, bunch of little plot holes that I was just like what um, whilst I was watching the film 
Um, mostly to do with like, wait, how how is it that the whilst they're on Cybertron, they're transforming into things that look like they're already objects from Earth, even though some of them have never been to Earth. Um, I, I think like it, aren't they supposed to be like transforming into like starfighters and space no, helicopters so, so, or something? Some of it looked a bit like what, and some of it was also like organic life forms as mm. well. I was just like, hmm. Anyway, and that that was just that. There was a couple other bits where I was just like, eh. But it's okay. It's still better than most of the other uh, Bay ones. I mean, um, it, it, it's better than the entirety of the Bay ones. Well, pretty much, yeah. I, I, I never understood the people who were, oh, no, the first one's good. It's like, no, it wasn't. The first one's got less charm than National Treasure Oof. and National Treasure 2. Oof. Mind you, to, I mean, to be fair, though, but a cage film is like something that you can watch for some form of enjoyment, regardless of how bad it is, because you get to see Nicolas Cage. That That is true. Um, I'm wondering what Nicolas Cage in a Transformers movie would be like. Huh. Hmm. Anyway, so there was that. There was Bumblebee last week. And so I give it a, yeah. I then watched the original, previous, prior to that, I watched the original Halloween movie. And Ooh, the, the ha- original, original, the original, original, and then the 2018 Halloween movie. Because okay, so I saw the trailer for the Halloween film that's coming out later this year, mm. which is a sequel to the 2018 Halloween film. And I was like, why do I get the feeling that these films have got like their own kind of like timelines, alternate timelines thing going on, a bit like Zelda? Yeah. And, um, one of the, the one of the greatest mistakes was when they tried to explain the Zelda timeline. Yeah. Um, and basically, Radio Times of all sites had like this really helpful article. It was like, these are the various timelines of the Halloween films. Aha. Um, and they said basically, if you wanted to watch the um, like the newest one, which at that point was the 2018 film, you watch the original film and then that. Mm. And then it said that like this one that's coming out this year follows on from the 2018 film. They said the Rob Zombie ones with their own little universe, separate. You don't need to watch any of the other ones to understand it. And then, uh. and then they tried to make head and head, 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 you know, some kind of sense of like the original and then the original sequel and the film and everything. And I was just like, I'm just going to ignore that because what I'm focusing on at the minute is that I want to be able to watch the new one that's coming out later this year. Yeah. So I thought what was interesting was that aside from that, obviously the original Halloween sets up like the whole thing with like Michael Myers and the goddamn you know distorted William Shatner mask. Which yeah, still looks gross no matter what. Um, and I remember I think it's still rated eighteen for the most part. Um, I don't think it's rated fifteen. Mm. Um, it was certainly rated an eighteen when I was younger, like before the BVFC went through like a massive re-ratings of like stuff from like the seventies and eighties. Um, yeah. in the last fifteen years. Um. And then, like, and I was like, this isn't that gory. It's quite suspenseful, but, like, actually, a lot of the horror in it isn't actually that full on. There's not that much blood or anything. Yeah. Cut to watching the 2018 one. <laughs> oh my God. It was just like the blood, um, very much presence of on screen violence, terrible things happening to various parts of of the body um like it was much more 
for not quite gouts of blood splattering everywhere levels. Yeah. But close enough. Um, but you know what? Like the two films, like Halloween doesn't like. There's some weird, like Halloween. The original tries to do some weird psychology stuff in the sense mm. that it tries to put forth some ideas that are kind of like not quite there. Whereas um, the 2018 film pretty much does away with that and has put forth this idea that it's some kind of not quite presence, but there is perhaps a preternatural element involved it's not just that michael's an absolute uh, fucking psycho there's maybe a little bit something else going on as well because the thing is is that uh it happens in the original film and i'm gonna spoil it now if you've never watched the halloween films maybe you want to stop listening for like five minutes but the whole thing is is that you can do whatever the fuck you want to michael myers and he still gets up and keeps going yeah which is obviously not natural. That's like a psycho killer, psychopath, whatever, serial killer is is not normally going to do that once you've like stabbed them everywhere and shot them everywhere and pushed them out of windows. Yeah. Or what happens, I won't spoil the end of the 2018 films, or what happens at the end of the 2018 film. And as we know, there is a third film coming up. Um, so... Obviously, uh, Michael Myers, and, and that's the thing, like, um, you hear him at the end of, like, all the credits of the 2018 film, you hear him. And that's how you know there's going to be another film. Yeah. They set up for it. So, and it does scare me. It, does, it takes a lot for a horror film to scare me. But, yeah, I was hiding behind a teddy bear for a bit of it. <laughs> So I was watching it by myself because Paul was at work. So see, the the more psychological films are the ones that work with me. I I can sit through limbs, you know, being torn off mm. and people being beaten to death with their own said limb. That's you know that doesn't phase me at all. But have, you know, have a bit of a weird atmosphere to it, and yeah. yeah. Do you know what? It's slightly meta to be talking about the 2018 Halloween film whilst and talking about it on a podcast on account of the fact that the film has a whole little kind of like side plot about and and it kind of helps with the sort of inciting incident around um, what happened the events of the film where you've got this uh, these two British people who run a true crime podcast. Okay visiting the US and Myers and the town and everything to make a podcast episode about what Michael Myers did originally in the 60s and then obviously went on to do in his night of terror in the was it the 70s 80s, 70s yeah um, i think the first one was but i definitely remember them being run in the early 80s yeah well the sequels definitely yeah um so yeah, so like it's like <laughs> so it's, yeah, this is like this there's like this film starts off a little bit about this true crime podcast. So um yeah. Uh t- and it was two British people as well, a man and a woman. Well <laughs> uh, shit. So yeah. So actually I think there might be quite a few good horror films coming out there, because I think we've mentioned that you've got the new Candyman's coming out as well. Um, which there is, seems to be a little bit of a renaissance. I I feel like was it um Get Out 
and and just Jordan Peele in general's kind of kicked everyone up the ass. Plus, like, there's still a lot of stuff going on with The Conjuring. Speaking of, um, I picked up uh, the first one on disc cheap mm. at HMV the other week. I have seen it before, but like, I genuinely like it enough. I wanted it to be seen it cheap. I was like, I want that in my horror film collection. I I, I think um, you know they originally you know like late seventies you had the sort of grindhouse gore. Yeah. And then in the eighties you had the um more like you know home video we you know we can do horror films. And then in it came to the you know the late nineties and you had the sort of like knowing nod wink after you know the eighties ones had turned into you know basically self parody by the end yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh so you had things like Scream. Dear was Craven. Yeah. yeah. And then it just you know seems to have uh, you know hey well we've got the advantage where it's you know it's a bit like the and I'm going to you, you see what I'm going to do it's a bit like the Fear Street thing mm. mm-hmm. where we can treat them as period pieces as well as in you know, horror movies yeah and that works pretty well because uh, there seem I think with there being a lot more media around that people will consume where it's still you know like in the 80s 90s yeah and of course it helps that the 90s is far enough away to be a different time period <laughs> i just feel so old saying that <laughs> but um it's it's also feels fairly close yeah so yeah, you you know you've got that kind of thing going on, and then you can you know play with the genres far more, and you know fiddle around with stuff. And also, it just happens. It just it is just helpful to deal with stuff in periods where there's no goddamn you know mobile phones or the internet. Really. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like that. Um, what if twenty four was you know set now? Oh God. To be fair, like, because I started trying to rewatch Twenty Four a few weeks ago, and I had to stop. Um, I I couldn't deal with because when I originally watched it, I like was when I was doing. Oh, it would have been like my original. Um, would have just finished in my original. I think it was a GMVQ and like ICT or something. Didn't mm. still didn't know much about hardcore text. That's how shit the GMVQ was. Um, because it was mostly Microsoft British Office. education. Because it was mostly Microsoft Office rather than the optional coding and hardware units that would have been much better to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, watching it now because I know fuck more. Um, I mean, I write about it. <laughs> like every other day sort of thing if I'm not reading about it um, or talking to devs and testers. And it's just like, uh yeah this is ridiculous and also i know a lot more about like um more so than uk stuff but like us departments basically and stuff and it's just like what and also having watched homeland yeah you know it's just like yeah whatever at 24 um but speaking of horror so i played a horror game that doesn't look like a horror game (laughs) Oh. On the Switch. Uh, well, I saw that it was, um, I think it was like 10% off. Um, I'm not sure if it's still 20, 10% off. I think the offer's probably off now. But um, Doki Doki Literature Club Plus is available on the Nintendo Switch. 
Oh, I, I have heard of it, but I know next to nothing. It is technically a horror game. It contains shocking content, um, and I don't know if it's the case for all versions, like including PC. And, but, and the um, shocking content isn't just looking at the prices on the e-store. No, um, but the shocking content. Um, I had to. You, you can, see here. Sorry. You can enable various stuff to enable like content warnings, trigger warnings type stuff on the game for yeah, when yeah. various bits are coming up. It is a dark, dark game um, that kind of sets itself up as like a typical Japanese visual novel. With you know like um, Japanese style character designs, and 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 stuff, and like high school setting and blah blah blah. Um, you join a book club, um, playing as a, a male protagonist, mm. but the game quickly becomes very weird once you complete like a couple of in-game days um and you kind of go through like this first week yeah where you're a member of this literature club you're going to after school every day with your best friend who lives next door and a couple of girls from the school and somebody that you were in a class with like a previous semester or something and it's kind of weird and disgusting like there's like all the girls are a little bit shifty mm. um i mean i knew something horrible and weird was going to come i thought the game was going to end up with some kind of cult or something storyline there's no cult um mm. but it is nothing is as it seems yeah and you get to a point where as the, because I said it's horror game, so as the uh, characters are so knocked off one by one, you realise what's going on if you don't realise it sooner. Um, and it has like its own little virtual desktop environment inside the game. But it's kind of like, it reminds me a lot of um, sort of like, uh, kind of like a Linux kind of um, environment, like yeah. a, but like a graphics one. Um, like distro, base distro, and um, you have to kind of you, you have to work against the game. It's got a lot of meta kind of horror levels going to it. Mm. And keep in mind that it's based on a new. And when I say visual novel, I mean dating sim visual novel. So it's twisting that concept on its head entirely. It's made by um, Western developers. Yeah. But you can sort of like see, obviously, the, the clear, clear influence from like Japanese uh, dating visual sims. Yeah. Visual dating sims. Just visual dating sims. That's the one. Um, so, yeah. So, um, if you are okay with very sensitive and horrific subject matter, Doki Doki could be a, a game you, a Doki Doki Literature Club might be something you want to play. Um, I've tried some of the plus hmm. content. Um, I did like, there's like, <sighs> five almost like episodes yeah that allow you to explore what some of the game's characters are like with outside of the horrific events of the main game that's an interesting um, idea but there's like no interaction as far as i can tell like i did part like each so you've got like i think there's like five branches and there's like a sequel to each one yeah. Um, so you've got like these, like so. There's like a this story part one, and then part two. This story part one, part two, blah blah. Um, 
but I did like the part one of this first story and I was just like, okay, so there's not actually any points of interaction in this at all. It is just watching all these characters talk at each other. Yeah. Which wasn't that fun. Uh, so I might go back to the plus part, but the main part of the game is definitely worth it. So if you treat those as kind of just little snippets. Yeah. Hmm. Now that um, is that yeah that that does sound kind of interesting. Um, I've, oh, but I have actually been gaming a lot lately, so I've still on my Death Stranding replay whilst I make notes. I purposely went on to it on my recent birthday, and yep. was greeted with a birthday cake in my room. Oh, now that is a nice touch. That was slowly devoured every time my back was turned. <laughs> so over the space of, I think it was like 10 or 15 minutes, like I'd go and just interact with something, I'd come back to the table and there was more of the cake gone. Yeah. Until, and you know, until it was like, it went from like your whole cake to like three quarters of a cake to like half a cake to like a quarter to like a slice and then like a crumb or something. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my God. So like normally, like I've had other games where obviously there's been like an in-birthday thing, but it hasn't been something that is like it changes it's just oh yeah Mm. here's a hat here's a here's a special edition item or something not something that is slowly devoured in in front slash you know behind me yeah whilst i look at bb or something um and yes i am getting excited for the director's cut that's not a director's cut if you listen to recent commentary from uh kojima yeah, he he complained about that, didn't he? Or yeah, did he... yeah, well, yeah, because he was like, you know, director's cut implies that it's like, um, you know, because it's like a term from film, and that yeah. it's like stuff that got left on the cutting room floor or whatever because um, various like interference usually or time constraints. Yeah. Um, whereas it is actually just new stuff they decided to make. By the sounds of it. Um, but the other good news is that if you've got copy you know, like if certainly with um the digital version of it on ps4 you should be able to um bring in your save you might still have to pay for an upgrade to get it on ps5 but you can bring in your save so well you that, that's something then yeah which considering that in order to do like the main story you're looking at probably at least 50 if not 60 hours of gameplay that's a good thing bloody hell yeah um and then I've also been playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Completed Mass Effect yesterday. Romance the pants off of Caden. Um, I don't know what it is, but I mean, because this is my first playthrough since I got pissed off by three um, when I completed that years ago. Yeah. Um, Liara's really pissing me off this time around. Normally I'd go for Romance and Liara, but there was just something about like seeing her presented in like you know obviously with these years in between yeah i'm just not feeling it ashley was never going to be option because like ashley still continues to be an annoying racist yeah um, and, we don't like the space racist and um yeah she again was sacrificed on Vermeer, as is tradition at this point um i i sacrifice caden and then just ignore i can't do that <laughs> I can't do that. Also, like I suppose one of the things that I mean to be fair, I feel it with both Liara or Caden, but um I tend to play either as like a depth or vanguard. 
I'm playing mm. Adept at the moment, and I briefly started a Mass Effect 2 playthrough and put in my character last night just after finishing the first one. Though I still might restart that because I'm not happy with how my Shepherd is looking. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's that. Um, and then, because I can't be playing too many games... Um, uh, I did pick up because I saw a trailer for it on YouTube, and I thought, "Oh, that actually looks really nice." Um, Lego's Builder's Journey. Okay. Okay, so it it's kind of like a cross between Lego meets Captain Toad, only with less annoying music. Um, okay. And it's far more zen. Um, and now you see that, yeah. Now you have my attention. So basically, you're like it's like this child. And uh, f- sort of like per- parent figure Lego figures that are like really simple looking, like really, really basic. And you're out on an adventure together, and you're and you slowly each stage is like you trying to get the 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 child to the the, the parent by built moving bits of Lego about, and it's really simple how you move Lego around and stuff. It's like yeah. the, it, it's like a button. Um, helps turn it around and stuff and place it or pick it up and um, you just got to use your sort of like directional pad a bit and you can move the levels around a bit but um, yeah I only just started playing it I went through about like six or eight stages until I was like okay I actually need to get ready for the podcast Um, but it was really really calming and just really really nice um it's, it was soothing. Um, and, that, and that came out recently. That came out sort of like near the end of last month. Um, <laughs> it's available on a load of platforms, so it's not just Switch. Um, I think yeah, you can get on like Epic Store, Steam, I think as well, maybe, you know, like all the consoles. Yeah. But it's just, it's just really gentle. I I will add um, two addendums. Mm. Addenda. <laughs> Um, I because I played it through on PC first time around. Um, I decided to re-download um, Alien Isolation. Oh. Um, on Xbone, and it's just oh god, the stress. <laughs> I might I need to finish that. I might have to dig it out. I remember it was one of the games I sacrificed uh, when um, I needed. I didn't have more memory for my PS4. Yeah, and I wanted to play some stuff, but I've still got the disc. Oh, it, oh! It is such a gorgeous-looking game, though. I got, I got more horror games for my birthday. Ooh. Resident what? Evil, Resident Evil Biohazard, which is obviously the seventh game, and Resident Evil Village. Yay! Um, so if I get sick of Mass Effect, um, I'm never going to get sick of Death Stranding and Sam Porter. Um, I, are, are you going to, going to um get get sick of Lady D? Nah, no, you get sick of Lady <laughs> D. Um, but I am going to play Biohazard, uh, which is still weird it being called Resident Evil Biohazard. Cause, yeah, I know, because yeah, yeah. Biohazard being the original. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to play that first. They, they, I did check, and you don't have to have played it to appreciate Village, because there's like a little catch-up thing it can do. Yeah. But quite frankly, I would like to see that the, the full horrors of what was it? Uh, is it Ethan Winters has been through previously? 
before um, playing village. Yeah, if I were him, I'd probably just sit down and have some kind of breakdown. I mean, he he probably needs it at this point. Um, just just have a good cry. Um, and speaking of breakdowns and having a good cry, um, I'm currently reading um, This Is How They Tell Me The World Ends, The Cyber Weapons Arms Race, written by uh, Nicole Perlroth. Um, like, it, it's 500 odd pages. I'm reading it, I'm reading it on Kindle. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I think, I can't remember if I saw that somebody I was following was reading it because I follow a few people in cybersecurity um, or and and on the journalism side as well or um, if it was recommended to me based on previous stuff I'd yeah. read um, but I'm only about like 20% or so the way through and it's just like, oh, all those things I suspected. Oh, no, no. Nicole's dug it up. I mean, basically, she was one of the people that was at the New York Times um, when all the Snowden files was, were brought in. Yeah. After The Guardian was raided. Um, and she was part of the team that had to investigate the files that they had access to in secret, trying to get information together to stop publishing, basically. Um, and she has, you know, since then, you know, gone fishing for the story of what the hell's going on with essentially cyber warfare in the world. Um, and the good news is everything is fine and we don't have anything to worry about. If only... Yeah. Um, stuff like you know the thingy pipeline hack that happened this year in the states. Um, various stuff to do with malware and all that. Um, the crap that keeps happening in poor Ukraine, like it all makes a sad, sad sense in the sense it's it's all predictable. And the thing is, you could be like, oh, it's just one nation state that's doing this, or two. It's not the good guys that are doing this. And it's like, well, if Snowden, <laughs> Snowden taught us anything, as the book points out. That's completely wrong, and here's why, <laughs> and how, and look at all this stuff. Um, I think the bit I'm currently on at the moment is, and I've got a separate book to read on it anyway, um, is um, on what happened with Stuxnet, only that name hasn't been used yet because it's about the, uh, it's just building up the history of it, but it's about the yeah. this bit of the book is literally about Stuxnet and, and what happened there. Um, so yeah, it's it's proven to be uh, quite a read. Um, I'm sort of similarly impressed with it, as I had been by, um, oh, I can't remember his name. I think it's Ben Summick or other, but his book, um, Moneyland, and explaining like complex global issue that yeah. has basically the perfect capacity to fuck over normal people. I say normal people, you know, the 99% of the world. Yeah. Um, maybe the, I mean to be fair with this particular instance with the you know, cyber warfare one, there's a chance that the one percent might get fucked over a little bit. It depends how close anyone gets to the banks and uh, accounts and Cayman Islands and all that sort of thing. But um, yeah, so it's I'm it's just, all pretty. Yeah, I'm gonna say now it's definitely worth a read. Um, and I'm gonna try and finish it at some point. It's like I'm picking at it. If I'm not reading um, fanfic at the moment, I'm reading that. <laughs> Quite a mix. If we're not reading fanfic about uh, Will Graham and, and Hannibal Lecter, 
doing things with each other. <laughs> I'm reading like, about like hobbies. Yeah, hobbies in speechworks. Mm, uh, like I'm writing. Yes, lots of writing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm writing. You know, I'm reading about cyber warfare. Um, basically. Speaking of um, cyber warfare and uh, Resident Evil, yeah, um, there was a modern vintage gamer video about the DRM on PC for Resident Evil Village. Okay. And this is just a quick okay. thing, but it, it this just reminded me. Where the story has always been, uh, I think it's Denuvo uh, DRM um, protects in a game code for the longest, or that you know that's what their um, you know spiel is, mm. and it doesn't impact performance at all. Where have I heard that before? I feel like every time somebody points out the DRM on a game, it's because it does do that. Yeah. And it's now been proven because, um, well, Modern Vintage Gamer himself uh, owns the game. Is it you know on Steam? Mm. And decided to um, test this uh, crack that this uh, you know piracy group has uh, put out, and they said that the DRM because it's it's not only the Denuvo DRM, but it's also Capcom's own. DRM as well. They're both oh. working in tandem. And it's pretty much no matter what spec PC you have, when you enter the mansion, I, th- I think it's it's in Lady D's uh, section. Okay. Where, you know, she has all the, um, you know, the helpers. Hmm. Um, I think the frame rate can tank on PC and down to about 15 frames per second. Ooh. Yeah. And um, Modern Vintage Gamer showed them side by side. So, you know, this is the sequence on Steam and this is the sequence with the, you know, the crack applied. And the crackers had said, yeah, you know, the DRM chokes the system. And for some reason, it really seems to affect uh, any action sequences. So, you know, moments like that, it, it goes to hell on PC and there's absolutely no reason why. Because as soon as you remove that DRM, so, you know, as soon as you patch that DRM out, it plays absolutely silky smooth. Much like, of course, it does on, P- well, on um, you know, consoles rather than mm. PC. Because, um, you know, by their nature, they are walled gardens. Yeah. So... <sighs> This Thanks, Capcom. There's, there's been a couple of games in the past year or so where it's been like the DRM's really come into the spotlight for just fucking up the game. Yeah, and my attitude to DRM because I, you know I've I've had conversations with uh, uh, you know other people with mutuals on uh, um, you know Twitter about this, and they're pretty much I will never buy from Steam because Steam is DRM, and I'm I understand that there's DRM. I've you know, I've dealt with DRM of various forms from, you know, reading words out of manuals to lens lock on Spectrum games all my gaming life, more or less. So I'm kind of used to there's going to be a, a type of copy protection, and so long as it doesn't fuck me over, I don't mind because it's 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 just part of the okay, you know? Yeah. But when it comes to stuff like this, it just drives me up the wall because if 
if I'd been really, oh yeah, I mu- I must play Resident Evil Village, then I would have bought it on PC. Yeah. And it, yeah. I think if I was getting, you know, really bad performance tips like shown in this video, it would have stopped me playing it. Because it's 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 a bit like watching a you know um, an action sequence in a film, and then you just get unfinished uh, special effects and low poly models with no uh, textures, and um, you know crew members just walking into shot. Hmm. It just you know it spoils the magic. It's but it you know the immersion is gone, and it's just yeah. Why why would you? And then, of course, to find out that you know, with all this, oh, it, it you know, it doesn't do anything bad, <laughs> only to be shown yet again. My favorite example of that being uh, the most recent Sim City, where EA were insisting that it had to be online and it had to be using, the, you know, phoning back to their servers. And then, of course, the cracking groups, the piracy groups, got a hold of it, and they single-handedly showed that it, you could play it offline and it, in fact it would work better because it wasn't constantly phoning home yeah um, as as MVG has said uh, Capcom do have a habit of once a, a game has been out for a while like a year or so or maybe a little bit less than that mm-hmm. they tend to remove the DRM or you know those are really aggressive forms of DRM because of course, I understandable that the first few weeks, the first month or two, those are the really important, you know, make or break yeah. times for a new release. So I, I get it. I just wish there were better solutions. I wish there were better companies. Yeah. And please, for the love of God, why do people need? to crack their own games that they have bought just so they can get the performance that they want out of them rather than if you're doing the good thing and the honest thing or buying it from an outlet and then you get screwed for that because you're running it on PC. Not good, not fair, not right. Step back, breathe. Hmm. Well... I think after that we have def- that is definitely <laughs> all we've got time for for this week. Um, so it is good night from. It's good night from me, Paul Wood. I'm retroid on Eurogamer.net and super retroid on Twitter. And it's good night from me, Emily King. I'm on Twitter at emkingma. You can find notes for this episode over at www.nerdassemble.co.uk. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nerds Podcast or on Facebook as Nerds Assemble Podcast. Episodes are, if you haven't already been listening, on places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, etc., etc., etc. But yeah, that's all we've got time for this week. So, good night. Good night.